The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Greetings, friends. I'm Mariquita Guerrera, and I am joined here today by Eleanor Brown, the New York Times and international bestselling author of novels, The Weird Sisters and The Light of Paris. We are here to talk about her latest novel, Any Other Family, which was published July 12th. Thank you so much for being with us here today. I'm so glad to talk to you. Thanks for having me. So your new book is largely about family, chosen and biological. And there's a great author's note at the end that explains a little bit about your motivations in writing this book. But I was wondering if you would discuss it a little bit with us now. Yeah, I'll tell you the story. So four years ago, February 15th, 2018, we were watching the Olympic the South in South Korea. And I got a call from my OBGYN. And it was like nine o'clock at night. My OBGYN does not usually call me at nine o'clock at night. I had not talked to her in like a year. So there was no reason to call. And she said, hey, listen, I had a woman come in for her annual exam yesterday. And it turns out she's six months pregnant. Uh, she didn't know. And she wants to make a plan for adoption. Uh, do you want a baby? I don't know about you, but I don't usually get calls from people <laughs> offering me a human being. <laughs> so I was a little surprised. I can't say that's happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, my husband and I had wanted kids, but we hadn't had them for a number of reasons. You know, so we were interested, but a little startled. And we met um, the expectant mother and the uh, expectant father, and we all kind of fell in love. And then to make a long story longer, three months later, we were in the delivery room when our son was born. Um, and so I became an adoptive mom and it got me started thinking about adoption and how families are created. And you, you have an open adoption. Uh, with Correct. Your, yes. Yeah. And that that's discussed a lot in this book as well in a really, really beautiful and compassionate in a thoughtful way. Oh, thank you. I, I tried. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons that I came to write any other family was that when I would explain that we had an open adoption, which means that we have a, and my son has a deep relationship with his biological family. So we see his birth parents regularly, uh, extended family is a little further away, but we see them when we can. Um, and, uh, you know, maintain, like we send pictures all the time. We do art projects every month and send them. Um, and, you know, traditionally I think people were really surprised because I think a lot of people are familiar with closed adoption where there's no relationship between the, um, uh, adoptee and the biological family. And we, it's not always possible or recommended to do that. But when it is possible, we do know that it can be really helpful for the adoptee. Um, and I really wanted to share that with people and help people broaden their understanding of what adoption and adoptive families might look like now. So I created this family that's very different from my family, but I created this family who is going through um, an open adoption 
and talking a little bit about what that looks like for them so that people could start to understand that adoption might not look the way that they think it does. Yeah. Uh, and, and you explore both the joy and the expectation and the grief of it. You know, I, in one of the places in the book that you talk about grief, you, you talk about how adoption starts with a loss, right? you know, right. And it's important to acknowledge that there's the loss of the biological family for the mm -hmm. child, mm -hmm. the loss of the child for the biological family. Mm -hmm. And then many times um, there's loss on the part of the adoptive family right. just due to fertility or infertility issues. Right. Or just, you know, family not looking the way that, that you thought it was going to look. So yeah, there's, there's loss on all three parts of that. And I think adoption, you know, we, we tend to use the super happy, almost like toxic positivity language about it, you know, like he's so lucky and it's like, well, he is lucky, but there's also a little bit of loss there. Um, and we're so lucky and there's a little bit of loss there and the biological family is so lucky and there's a little bit of loss there. So it's super important to recognize that. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a complex series of emotions. It's a really nuanced situation mm -hmm. and it's really lovely and fortunate that you're in a position and that many families are in a position to adopt uh, children that want to adopt children that want to have um, families built in this way. Families look all kinds of different mm -hmm. ways, um, but but there is a grief involved in it. In that, and when we ignore that, we do a disservice really to everybody involved in that equation. Right. Right. And I did, you know, the, it was so hard trying to put everything into this book that I wanted to put in here. I mean, for starters, there's three adopt three sets of adoptive parents and four kids at the beginning of this book. So no matter what I did, there were nine people in the room, you know, <laughs> so there yeah. was just a lot of stage managing that had to happen, but then the issues and emotions. And I think that there's this, this idea that you know, there's one path to adoption, right? Like a couple has fertility issues. And so they go to adoption and it's the sort of last resort. And that's not the case at all. Um, there are all kinds of reasons that people create or expand their families through adoption. And um, there are all kinds of reasons that adoption is necessary. And so I really wanted to try to get a breadth of issues in there. And then also a breadth of emotions involved, because just like any other family, adoptive families are wonderful and frustrating frustrating and uh, loving and um, uh, infuriating and, and all, <laughs> all of those things that are true about, about biological or, or married families or chosen families of any kind are true about adoptive families too. So any other family is the story of three sets of adoptive parents who adopt four biological siblings and they become a family. What they decide is that even though these siblings are going to be raised in different houses, that they are going to continue to be raised as siblings, as a family. Um, so there is uh, Tabitha and Perry, and they adopt the twins, Tate and Taylor. And then there's Ginger, who adopts the oldest daughter, Phoebe. And then there's Elizabeth and John, and they are the newest additions to the family. And they adopt baby Violet, who is not even a year old when the story starts. And the idea is that they're going to spend their first and depending on who you ask, first and last family vacation together. Uh, in the mountains in Colorado, where I'm from, and they're kind of navigating what it means to be a complex family. I found myself getting a little frustrated with Tabitha. <laughs> the, <laughs> all these different um, characters are so distinct and incredible. And I found myself getting really frustrated with Tabitha. She's the parent that is sort of like, she's really type A. She needs to like plan things out. And she's like expertly good 
at crafts and presentation and like she's described as the Pinterest mom. Yeah. When she starts leaning on Elizabeth, the newest member of their family to adopt the newly arriving baby. It felt it felt like a little along the same lines as like the pressure to have or keep a baby that you're not emotionally, financially prepared to raise. Mm-hmm. And it it was really frustrating to me the way that Elizabeth kept thinking about because you see a lot of her internal thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. the way she, she kept uh, thinking about, do I really want to have this like baby? I know we talked about having a big family. I really am not prepared to do that and stuck to it was really a beautiful exploration of what it means to decide whether or not to expand your family. Yeah. And I think that there is, I mean, that's another way in which I was trying to get at the complex emotions. So first of all, when I, when I created Elizabeth, one of the things I was really interested in is female anger, because I feel like culturally, you know, women aren't allowed to express anger. I know that in American culture, like female anger that comes out as tears is this kind of verboten thing. Um, And Elizabeth has a lot of anger and a lot of grief that she's wrestling with. And so she has very good reasons not to initially want to expand her family. And the thing that I was dealing with, with Tabitha is, you know, Tabitha thinks she knows what is right for everybody. And the problem is that she's often correct. She often does know what's best. But it's one of those situations where, where what's best is not always the right thing. So it was, a, it was a complicated relationship to try to get across, but also a really interesting one. Because, of course, everybody has opinions about parenting, right? And then when adoption comes in, that's a whole other thing, right? Because if, you know, you become pregnant and you tell people you're pregnant, they say, congratulations. And they say, when are you due? They don't say, well, what makes you think you'd be a good parent? Or why do you want kids? Or can I see your last three years of tax returns and bank statements so that I can make sure you're financially viable? And let's talk in detail about your sex life with your partner. But those are all questions that come to you when you are adopting. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, right? We do need to to vet adoptive parents. But it's a super interesting question of what makes a good parent and who gets to decide that? Yeah. You also explore the adoptive, I, I get it's not probably called postpartum depression, I would guess, but maybe, you know, that the version of that yeah. in adoptive yeah. families. And I don't think we talk about that very often at all. I don't think a lot of folks are really aware that that is something that is not uh, uncommon mm-hmm. and can afflict adoptive parents just the same as a birthing parent. Right, exactly. And and I think it's really, you know, parenting is hard. No matter how you come to parenting, it's really hard. You know, one of the things I think a lot about is that people have different ages of parenting that they really love. I really loved parenting an infant. Toddler, not so much, was not my favorite stage. (laughs) Uh, But again, that sort of like toxic positivity that comes along with adoption is like, you're not allowed to say that, right? And, you know, is my son like an amazing human being? Yes. Do I think he's a gift and a miracle and a blessing? Absolutely. I do. But just because I'm an adoptive mom doesn't mean I don't get to have feelings of frustration. Right. And that's one of the things I think that Elizabeth is is wrestling with is that she probably like, she's going to be, she's a teacher and uh, she teaches middle school. So she's going to be an awesome parent when that baby is 13, but she's just not loving being an infant parent. 
And that's okay. We got to give people the, the space to talk about those kind of feelings and those kind of experiences. Yeah. And you, and you talk to about the sort of baggage we bring mm-hmm. to family interactions, whether it's a family of origin or, or chosen family. And towards the end of the book, Elizabeth is able to let down her guard a mm-hmm. little bit. And letting down our guard, giving folks the benefit of the doubt, which she ends up having to do, you know, with Tabitha, accepting that Tabitha is trying to help her, allowing ourselves to be held and Mm -hmm. cared for, can create robust and interdependent communities, which we really do need Mm -hmm. just for ourselves and and for children, for families. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's, that is really such a a thoughtful point to make. And I, I think about this all the time. So we are older parents. And we don't have family nearby. And so I think about the fact like we're never going to spend a night away from our son until he spends a night away from us. And I think like about how artificial that is, that we're not supposed to do this alone and whatever kind of community you build to parent in, like you're supposed to do that together. And that is a perfect example of like these three mothers, each in their own way, they all think that they're supposed to do this alone and they have to do this alone. When the family is literally right there, (laughs) they're literally all in the same house and they all very much want to help each other, just not always in the, in the way that the other person needs to be helped. Yeah. There's a vulnerability in it that can be hard to do, especially Mm -hmm. because there is so much guilt and shaming around parenting because people do have so many opinions. Oh yeah. Admitting that you do need help, admitting that it is hard, admitting that you aren't loving this stage so much feels like a betrayal. It feels like a failure and it's Mm -hmm. not, it simply isn't. And allowing ourselves to be fallible Mm-hmm. human beings, fallible parents, mm-hmm. um, invites other folks in and can create a really comprehensive and incredible and diverse set of experiences for ourselves, for our children, um, and for our communities. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You thank some adoptive families in your acknowledgments. Uh, how did you go about writing and researching this book? So it felt so true to a breadth of the adoption experience. Oh, thank you. So, I mean, obviously I have my, my own adoptive experience and when you adopt, um, you have to do adoption training. And so a lot of the ideas that I had sort of started with that because they do such a great job of talking about so many issues in parenting in general and in adoptive parenting. You know, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I had so many people in my life already who had some connection to a job, to adoption. So someone who's worked in the foster care system for 40 years, uh, some parents who've adopted from foster care, adult adoptees, parents of international adoptees, you know, so I had all these people that I could reach out to. And then I also reached beyond that to find some birth parents to talk to and some people who, who I wasn't connected to. So I could get some, some kind of objective views. Because again, everybody's experience is so different. And while there are some things in common that there is a breadth of experience that I wanted to kind of incorporate. So I just talked to them about their experience. When I had a manuscript, I asked them to read it and talk to me about, you know, what they were reacting to. Uh, And it was really interesting. My editor is young, is not a parent at all. And one of the most wonderful things was that she really responded to the book. And that made me feel good because yes, this is about adoption. Yes, this is about parenting, but it's about more. It's about how we build a family, what it means to, as you're talking about, trust each other. How do you trust each other if you have no like pre-existing relationship and how do you build that? 
so I was super grateful to all the people in the uh, adoption community who were so helpful uh, to me and gave me their experiences. Some of which, you know, if you talk to a writer, like I outright stole some of them. They are, they're, all, <laughs> they're all aware of that. They're all aware of that. Absolutely. But uh, if you talk to a writer, they're always going to be like, ooh, that's really good. <laughs> I really appreciate you being here to talk with us about this. A beautiful joyful, honest, lovely book, any other family, incredible. Um, and I just absolutely loved it. Thank you so much. And you, these are such great questions. I, I really hope that, that everybody who reads the book has as many wonderful thoughts about it as you have. Thank you. Thank you. I, oh, one more thing I wanted to say, I really, really loved the stories of the prospective parents oh. that you tucked in between some of those chapters. They were so touching and really covered a lot of the reasons folks look to adoption as a way to create their own family. So thank you, you know, for including that as well. Yeah, those were really, those were really hard to write, but also really fun to write. So I'm glad you appreciated that. And I hope that's, that's actually one of the parts that I hope will invite the most conversation. Because again, it's that question of what makes a good parent and how do you decide and putting people in the, in the place where they have to decide that I think is a really interesting thing to do. Well, where can folks find you online? Is there anything you wanted to talk about? Anything you wanted to plug or reference? Um, people can find me on my website. I actually abandoned social media a few years ago and I'm much good for you. saner <laughs> for it. it I, 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 social media has a lot of good things and does a lot of wonderful things for people. Um, but my website is eleanor-brown.com and there's events there if any people want to come see me in person. Wonderful. And I'm Marikita Guerrera. You can find me on Instagram sometimes at O underscore Murray. Thanks so much for being with us here today, Eleanor. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Do you love food and feminism? Then you will love decorating your home and filling your wardrobe with merch from Overseasoned. This colorful culinary brand features clever and bold artwork with cheeky slogans like shuck the patriarchy and Cabernet and equal pay. Shop t-shirts, aprons, kitchen towels, baby clothes, and more with these fun and empowering designs. Top sellers include Smashing My Food and the Patriarchy Baby Bib, Root for Women, Cozy Crew Neck, and the Culinary Goddess Apron. And if you're particularly fired up about the Supreme Court decision and who isn't, the Ice Cream for Reproductive Justice design is going to be just what you want to rock on a t-shirt or tote bag. These pieces have become cult favorites in the food world, with star TV chefs, home cooks, bakers, and foodies alike swearing by overseason merchandise. Nearly every product in the shop supports a nonprofit that's dedicated to bettering the lives of women, particularly those in marginalized communities. Not to mention that these pieces are highly functional as well as incredibly soft. And since Overseasoned outfits infants to adults, it makes a great gift for anyone in your life and adds conversation-starting flair to any ensemble. Go to overseason.com shop and use code feminist to get 10% off of your order with Overseasoned. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, red woman is
chat.